Hey everyone, it's Jess and I'm here again on the porch swing with Kevin Laporte and Amanda Rachels for another episode and we are discussing the latest Ain't No Such Thing episode of The Air Show that is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. So first things first guys, what's new? There's a lot new. Uh, two new episodes dropped just a couple of days ago. First of all, we dropped the on the porch swing episode for the golden arm where we talked about the background on that legendary tale and then later that same day we dropped the air show our fourth original story drive-in movie horror i love it it was a lot of fun to write and we've had a really good response so far we've also produced a video for the air show episode in which i draw the monster um the projectionist and that piece of original art as we do with our other episodes it's available on eBay now and it ends Monday the 9th that evening so go check it out it's a really really cool piece and I'm proud of it I do love it he's creepy you can see a picture of it now on our Facebook group just go to facebook.com slash group slash ain't no such thing all right all right guys so spoiler alert we are going to dive deep into this last episode, so if you haven't listened to it, please, please, please go back and listen to the last episode. It was recorded and released last Sunday night, so go ahead and listen. And now I'm going to ask a little question. So, so the first question that I really am wondering, clearly this was an original story, so how did you come up with it? Well, going back to childhood and I keep dating myself by talking about things that happened to me in the 70s. I was born in 1970, so I was a child through the 70s, a teenager in the 80s. So my formative years were spent during these time periods. So a lot of these things I experienced genuinely, and that includes driving movie theaters. Uh, very clear memories of my stepfather in the mid to late 70s, taking my brother and I hiding us in the back seat of the car in the floorboard under a blanket to get us in free so you didn't have to pay for us at the air show. That's an actual place that existed in uh, on the city limits between Chickasaw and Pritchard, Alabama. And we frequented that place quite often back in those days. Um, I couldn't tell you a, a movie that we saw there specifically because most of them were, you know, exploitation types of films. That was my first exposure to nudity in a movie, I'm sure, while we were at the air show. Oh, that's um, a lovely family evening. Well, it, it, it left an impression on me, I'll tell you that, uh, without getting into specifics. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, but also martial arts films. Uh, lots of cheesy things you would end up seeing in the afternoons, you know, edited, of course, on UHF stations in the 1980s where you had to go to the Circle K or the 7-Eleven and buy the round antennas so that you could pick up those stations. Channel 44, baby. And Channel 15. <laughs> both of those local channels. I have channels. no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, they, they, all that had evaporated by 89, I think. I watched Channel 44 earlier today. I don't well, know what y'all Channel 15 is on, on the air all the time. It totally That's the is. Fox affiliate now, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but yeah, going back to then and... The, the drive-in felt so strange to me. Being in a car, watching a movie in the dark with all the weird lighting that you get from headlights and the way that the concession stand was lit and the large marquee and the way that the screen reflected on all the cars and lit the place up. Just a really strange experience. And there was always a 
playground at the front of these things, right under the screen, and it was always silhouetted. So it just looked like shadows moving around there, including the people that were the kids or the parents that were playing there, or the teenagers that were making out on the swings or whatever. They were just in shadow, and it creeped me the hell out. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just a, a really weird place to be. It stuck with me. And when we talked about initiating this project, ain't no such thing in the first place. It was one of the first images that crawled out of my brain and said, tell a story about me. So that's where it came from. Wow. I hate that all of my drive-in experience is not real. I've only been to the sci-fi diner at Hollywood Studios in Disney World, and that's cool, though, where you sit in a fake car and you eat hamburgers and you watch old cheesy it's just movie a, clips on the about a 15-minute reel of sewn-together clips from the 1950s. It's, it's a highlight, though. I love going there. That and just seeing drive-in movies in the movies. And uh, I watched one recently... And, um, man, points if you saw this garbage. Blood Rage. What a movie. It opens at a, at a drive-in movie. And the mom and her boyfriend are so busy making out that they don't care about the, the two twin boys in the back. And they're like, hey, let's go do something. So they go, and they run into a, a couple in their car. And, and they're like, leave us alone. And the bad brother axes the guy to death. And then puts the axe in his brother's hand, so he goes to the insane asylum for, you know, that's how they open the movie. So you had a good twin and a bad twin at the drive-in. And it was amazing. It's terrible, but it was fun. Go watch it. It's got like a Kmart Heath Ledger playing twins. So <laughs> since that's a, a movie where it starts at the drive-in, what's your favorite movie that ends at a drive-in? That ends at a drive-in? That ends at a drive-in. This is a quiz. Man. It's so easy. It's a Tim Burton movie. Hmm? Uh, it's a Tim Burton movie that ends at a drive-in. It's Tim Burton's first important movie. <laughs> it's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh my god! Ah! <laughs> it, it ends at a drive-in. That is a beautiful film. Large Mars. That is a horror muscle. movie. You're totally right. <laughs> well, at the end, he's watching his own movie about That's him. Right. But it stars James Brolin. And... What's her name from Dynasty? Morgan Fairchild is <laughs> Dottie. Good Lord. <laughs> and yeah, so Pee Wee's actually delivering snacks to everybody in their cars uh, as they get ready to watch the movie. And then when it comes on, including the felon that left him on the side of the road and crashed the car. And That's funny. It's a, everybody in the movie is at the drive-in to see this. Well, I actually thought of that movie today because I was listening to a, another podcast on true crime and... This week, or well, the one I'm listening to was on John Wayne Gacy. And there's a pretty good movie about him in which Francis from Pee Wee, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is John Wayne Gacy, and it's actually a decent movie. I can so. buy that. He's the worst villain oh in, of all time. He's, Francis. He is so Gacy. It's it's terrible. That's that's the worst Disney Channel crime. <laughs> <laughs> that's so Gacy. So that's the that's our story on Drivings. <laughs> All right, so moving on, um, you know, we were introduced to Demetrius, or Meat, <laughs> and I feel like, you know, we all know that kind of kid in middle school or high school. Was there a particular person that kind of inspired you for this story? Sure, me. <laughs> <laughs> were you named Meat? No, I didn't have a nickname. Uh, well, I, I take that back. I was called Mad Dog for a while in middle school. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to die. It, it was an ironic nickname, of course. Because... Y'all know better. Mad Dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname at, uh, in middle school. It, uh, the all-boys UMS prep school in the 7th and 8th grade. It was an ironic middle name. I'm, I'm sorry, an ironic nickname because... I didn't say anything at that school. I was quiet, <laughs> kept to myself. I didn't fit in there. And so the the more clever upperclassmen there, who were very kind to me, honestly, uh, took to calling me Mad Dog. And a few years later, once I've transferred back to public school, not far from the air show, honestly, my school was about an, a mile and a half from there, I ran into one of the teachers from the prep school I'd gone to I didn't know she was there, and I heard behind me, is that Mad Dog Laporte? Good Lord. This was like three years later, four years later, and she still, the teacher still remembered me as Mad Dog, and uh, I, was, I still answered to it, <laughs> <laughs> but my, my nickname came from a totally different place than Demetrius's nickname. Demetrius is coping with an inner rage uh, resulting from a lot of loss and a lot of pain in his life that had nothing to do with him. That was the fault of his caregivers his failed parents environment yes poor and baby yes. he's a little more bruce banner he's very much bruce banner i, I do love that that character uh, i love the hulk and meat is just you know a, a non-superpowered hulk persona and in, in, in my view he's a protector not a split personality i don't want to write that stuff it, i'm a, a therapist by trade uh not sure based on the theories that I'm familiar with, the abnormal psych information that I've been privy to in my career that that split personalities are a real thing. That's a little different than dissociation, not to get too technical. But that's definitely not what's happening with Demetrius. Meat is like a seventh gear, it's if you like will. A, like a suit of armor for him there. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to describe it. Uh, a mode of behavior that doesn't have to answer to the pain mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better way of describing it. But we all kind of fall in love with him as he <clears throat> comes up with this brotherly love for this ghost or, well, he doesn't know it at first, but this little girl, you know, that he finds on the playground. Yeah, you notice that Meat disappears when the little girl shows up mm -hmm. and Demetrius is the one who's caring for her. Or point. trying to find out what's going on with her. What can he do to get her out of there into safety? Yeah. And you see that he's kind of really a, a good kid, even though he goes in to vandalize the place. Um, sure. Well, didn't we all make mistakes as teenagers? I did stupid shit as a teenager. Of course. So I heard a, a lot of movie references, you know, um, in the story. And Do you want to elaborate on that? Well... The fact that it takes place at a drive-in where a lot of classic movies were screened and, and as I pointed out, I didn't see any real classic movies there. I saw B-movies, Sunday afternoon, martial arts fair for the most part, at least as far as I can recollect. So it just in the writing of it, these references came out and particularly in this story uh, goes back to the classic monsters, uh, werewolf in reference to meat, you know, being sort of a transformation of this person without really becoming a different creature. Uh, references to Bela Lugosi, Vampire, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, 
And both of those show up in the little girl's story as that we learn for a brief moment there toward the end that sort of pushes Demetrius forward and I think inspire him to defend himself and escape. Uh, but in a story about drive-ins, it was just um, unavoidable to have movie references pop up. All right, so tie it in. I mean, you really let a protagonist live. What made him actually live in this story? What Hooray! made him so special? <laughs> you're you're surprised. I'm very surprised. Well, we are kind of, what, we're one out of four now? Yeah, I mean, but that depends <laughs> on if living is a victory condition or if defeating the enemy, the monster, the curse, or the demons that you're facing in the story are the victory condition. In that case, we're maybe 50-50. <laughs> I think Melody in the Flood won out, and she did not survive, but she definitely defeated in her own little way the monster that was abducting and killing her. But yes, Demetrius does survive. I hope you heeded our spoiler warning so we didn't ruin that for you. But what makes him different, I don't know that anything necessarily makes him different except he had a little more control of his circumstances in terms of the story compared to the others. I, I couldn't see Melody getting superhuman strength, breaking her bonds and swimming out of a you know, 300 square mile flood zone. Uh, but in Demetrius' case, he had the means, the opportunity, the circumstances to escape, the personality to do it, and the survival instinct in the form of his meat persona to make that happen. So to me, it's story driven. I definitely don't have uh, a drive to murder all of the good guys in the story, the protagonists, the victims. I, it's just dependent upon how the story goes and what their opportunities are and keeping it with a bound, within the bounds of believability, even in supernatural circumstances. I know. It was a good ending in the flood, but I was still kind of salty about it. Poor Melody. But, but did it evoke an emotional reaction? Absolutely. I think that's why we're getting the response to that one that we have where it's the favorite of the people that have spoken to me directly um you know it's it's cool but i'm so happy that demetrius made it because it seems like it gives him a little bit of new perspective and i think that was Power. the whole point was his transformation not just to meet for those moments that that was needed but to something more than a kid trapped in an untenable situation in a place that was going to hell not so much literally as figuratively in terms of his community and his family disintegrating and so forth and taking control and getting the hell out of there mm -hmm. so he triumphed not just over the monster but over his circumstances as well i like that he just busted the monster in the eye too i like the monster but they kind of have a cheer for him moment there well, I think knock him out. I think too often in horror stories, particularly in big screen slashers, that we see people that lash out physically and have some experience because this guy was a fighter, clearly a fighter. Their efforts are just like shrugged off. Jason, Michael Myers, just go down the list. You punch them and they just keep coming. <laughs> but Not is this that guy. is that really? Effective in terms of storytelling? Is there, is there any gravitas to that? Or can real people be really effective against these types of monsters, even for brief moments? And in this case, Demetrius was. You know, 
He knew how to defend himself. He was sick of this garbage, and he took it into his own hands, literally. Uh, he was really angry about what happened to the little girl. Uh, he didn't understand it, and then he saw what had happened to her prior, and, you know, this sort of figurative, fanciful way that it was portrayed on the screen, he was not happy about it, and he took that out on the monster, and he won out. He got away. Well, like that, sort of like with, with it, you know, the kids, their belief is their power. Um, and with certain monsters and stories like that, where, you know, if I say I'm going to spray my inhaler at you and it's battery acid, if I believe it, then it is. And, and I think that's kind of a cool element. But I, I know his wasn't that fanciful, but I, I dug it. I was glad that he won out there. He definitely gave a piece out when he left. Like, no, mm. oh, absolutely. He dropped the mic. Show. I, I didn't write it, but he flipped that thing right the hell off as he ran toward it. <laughs> <laughs> and if he didn't do it outright, he did it in his head as he was trying to walk away. Read between the lines. <laughs> that's right. Okay, well, that's it for our deep dive discussion of the air show. Thanks for listening. Up next, Amanda's going to preview this coming week's story, Santa's Kingdom. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's our holiday story. Uh, we're putting it up a couple of weeks early to let you enjoy it and kind of get a feel for it before Christmas actually gets here. It's horrible and awful and obviously includes a terrible version of Santa. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> but maybe in different ways than you've seen horror Santa portrayed in other stories in the past. So take a listen. Please enjoy. Larry survived the crying, the complaining, the rampant laugh track laughing around him with the highbrow pondering of the stark psychiatric realities visited upon moviegoers by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, released only a couple of weeks earlier and already confounding the general public. During the slow hours late each evening, he sometimes debated the accuracy of the film's depiction of insane asylums with the Santa actors who also worked those late shifts. And that's how he found himself sitting on the curb by the dumpsters behind Gafer's, waiting to be picked up by one of those Santas. Larry Van Camp never did one worthwhile thing in his entire life. No diploma, no career, no relationship. Nothing but a revolving strand of odd jobs held over his glory days in the A.V. Club at St. Paul's Episcopal. Yeah, that was a private school, among the best Mobile, Alabama had to offer in those early years in the 1970s, but just one of many squandered advantages that he boasted. He ran projectors at the local movie theaters five or six nights each week, rotating between the Village Six, the Capri, and the usually vacant Airport Twin. Those gigs covered his beloved Big Macs and gas for the AMC Pacer he inherited from Aunt Flora after emphysema caught up to her. But mostly, they provided him advanced paid screenings of all the biggest releases. The year was 1975, and that past June ignited the summer of Jaws. Larry was the absolute first in Mobile cinephiles to experience Spielberg's masterpiece of beach horror. And you know he didn't let anybody forget it. December brought extra work by photographing every brat from Pascagoula to Pensacola pissing on Santa's knee inside the Gafer's department store not far from his assorted projectionist jobs. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that preview. 
And um, we're going to catch you next time. In the meantime, we love talking with you on our Facebook group. So you need to come over to facebook.com slash groups slash ain't no such thing. And let us know this week, what's your local drive-in? Do you have one in, in your area? I have not been to a real drive-in, so I want to hear about the ones where you are because I travel and I want to go. So everybody have a good week. Be safe. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye, y'all. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.